0: I remember a few years ago when, um, when the Apple Watch first came out and my brother was telling me about it. My brother's like a total early adopter, kind of gear, tech kind of guy. And he was so excited about the Apple Watch and he starts telling me all about it. So I get online, I start reading about it, all the things that it does. And I'll be honest with you, my first response to the Apple Watch was like, why in the world would I ever want to put something else on my wrist where people can interrupt me and get a hold of me when I've already got this thing in my pocket that is going off all the time? I'm like, I don't want it. You know, at the time, I had, I had a good watch, and I, I, this watch had this remarkable feature. You know, it told me the time. It was incredible. Like, I, I had a watch that told me what time it was, even had a stopwatch. Like, why in the world do I want to replace that with something that's going to interrupt me? And my brother just kept telling me, you know, you can silence the notifications, it has all the other features. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not buying it. And then I started watching him use it. And you know, it was kinda cool because my brother is uh, way more fit than I am. He runs a lot, bikes a lot, does all these things. And he was using his watch to like track heart rate and do all these cool things. I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. Like maybe if I had one of those, I would actually do the things that he's doing. I don't know that I would, but maybe I would. I'm like, "Ah, I still don't wanna spend the money. Still wasn't convinced I should get the watch. And then about a month and a half ago, My mom came to me and she said, hey, Aaron, I'm gonna get a new Apple Watch. Do you want my old one for free? I'm like, yeah. Hey, I'll take a free one. Like, I'll take the free watch. So I get the free watch. And for the last month and a half, it's been really funny uh, that I've been wearing this watch. And my wife keeps kind of laughing at me because I keep, there's all these little things that I'm doing. I'm like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. Like, it actually does some cool stuff. You know, we'll be cooking together in the kitchen and we'll have music playing. And one of our kids will ask a question and she'll say, Aaron, can you turn the music down? I'm like, yeah, babe, I got it. And I start doing it on my watch. She's like, did you just turn the volume down with your watch? I'm like, yeah, I did. I know, it's really cool. It's really awesome, you know. (laughs) Or, 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 you know, there's all these things. I can shuffle through music, you know. I can show, hey, will you set a timer? And I can literally talk to my watch, and it will set a timer for me. And how cool is that? Like, I've been enjoying the features. My favorite is when I lose my phone, which happens embarrassingly often. Instead of getting frustrated and turning the house upside down, I hit a little button, and I hear boom on my phone, and I know right where it is. I go right to it. It's incredible, all these features. And here's, here's what I discovered in that is that w- with the Apple Watch, you know, there, there were all these things my brother tried to tell me about, but the, the, the reality was until I experienced it, I just wasn't really gonna believe it. I wasn't gonna buy it. I couldn't believe that it could be that great. You know, in fact, it seemed like a nuisance until I experienced it, and then I began to enjoy it. And it's that way with so many things in life that people try to convince us that something is good, but until we've seen it or experienced it for ourselves, it's hard to buy the thing that they're pushing. You know, this morning, we're gonna be talking about this idea of the kingdom of God. And man, if there was anything that Jesus talked about a lot, it was the kingdom of God. And what we're gonna see that, just like many other things in life, that sometimes it's hard to believe that it is as good as Jesus says it is until you've seen it, tasted it, and experienced it. And that's my hope, my prayer. Like, I could talk all I want this morning, but my prayer is that we all will get a taste. A glimpse of the goodness of God's kingdom. And so, you know, we've been walking through this series and I've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't been with us, I'll kind of give you some of the highlights so you know kind of where we're coming into this last week. The very beginning of this series, we kind of said, hey, this prayer that Jesus gave his followers, uh, that many of us have heard in many different contexts, it was not a religious formula. In other words, it wasn't just something we're supposed to say over and over again in just the right ways, hoping that God will respond. It was not a, a religious formula, but a relational framework that Jesus is going, hey, I want to give you a prayer that will help you understand how you relate to God. And so we said that very first week that in this prayer, we realize first and foremost that we come to God as our Father. And there was this other reality that he's not just our Father, but he is the King, and it's beautiful that as we begin to live, live into this idea that our Father, the King, is the one we're praying to, no longer do we come to God like employees, just hoping that we worked hard enough to get our paycheck at the end of the day, nor do we come to him as equals, as though we are adult children coming to our dad, who we respect but has no authority in our lives. But no, we come to him as beloved children, who understand the mass authority that our father, the king, carries. And it's empowering and it's beautiful. And then we talked about how our father, the king, has every resource and he can meet every need, both material and spiritually. And then last week, Dave got up and he talked about this idea that all through the prayer, it's always plural. It's always our father, our daily bread, forgive us our debts, all these things. And it's this communal experience. I love... The way David kind of framed it up last week is he said, he said, listen, the question when you become a follower of Jesus is not, will I have family? The question is, what kind of family will we be? Because we become family in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. And so this week we're gonna focus on kind of a different emphasis of the prayer. Uh, of this idea of on on earth as it is in heaven and talk through what in the world does that really mean? So as we jump into that, just like every week, we're gonna say the prayer together and we'll have it up on the screen. Um, I'll kind of say the words and I just invite you just to respond, to reply after me and repeat uh, what I've just said as we say this prayer together. So let's get the words up on the screen. And so it says, this then is how you should pray. Repeat after me, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be, your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your, kingdom come. your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. As, we also have our as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one. But deliver us from the evil one. So this is the relational framework, this prayer that Jesus gives us as his followers. And so, uh, you know, we're going to focus on this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, this, this picture of heaven coming to earth. And, you know, I, I don't know uh, what you imagine when you think of heaven. For most of my life, I wasn't given much of a picture. In fact, all I really had to go by were some of the things you see like in comic strips, you know, this idea that it's like this cloud land where you sit around on clouds and you're given a harp when you get there. Maybe there's this weird mystical light and you sing some music, you know, and it's, honestly, that image doesn't do a whole lot to make me wanna ask that to come to earth. Like, I'm not interested in, like, an invasion of care bearers here on planet Earth. Like, I kind of like things the way they are, you know, so that doesn't do much. There's this other picture of heaven that's not very helpful either, even though it's rooted in truth. It's this picture of heaven as though it is some sort of future destination. You know, Jesus on the cross says to the man hanging, the thief that's hanging there with him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And many of us go, oh, heaven is this place that we go when we die. And that's where Jesus is. I don't know much about it, but it sounds pretty good, I guess, if Jesus is there. And, and so we, we boil heaven down to just this future destination. But you see, neither of those things make a whole lot of sense when Jesus says, hey, I want you to pray that things on earth would be just as they are in heaven because Jesus doesn't give us prayers to pray that he's not interested in answering. And so why would he ask us to, to pray for something that, that, that doesn't make any sense? It's, you see, heaven, it's not the mystical cloud land. It's also not just a future destination. Neither of these are enough to make us want to pray this prayer or to lean into this prayer. So what in the world is he talking about? You know, his prayer is that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the kingdom was central to the message of Jesus. He often just everywhere he went, he was proclaiming this idea of the kingdom of heaven. He would describe it, but so often what he would describe it with, he wouldn't give us like tangible features. It's not like he was describing his home country, you know, where he wasn't like, "Man, the grass is so green, the mountains are majestic." You wouldn't believe the palace. It's you know that's not the way Jesus talked about the kingdom. He used he used metaphors and and parables and. He said things that are sometimes hard for us to understand, he would say things like, man, the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field. He'd say the kingdom of God is like a a, a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a net. You know, he would over and over, he would talk about all these parables and these metaphors about what the kingdom was. And you see, what, what Jesus was getting at is that God's kingdom in heaven is not just about a place. It's not just about a realm where God reigns. It is about anywhere that God reigns. That the kingdom of God, what it means for the kingdom of God to come into our lives, means that it is like life when God reigns as king. What is the kingdom like? The kingdom is anywhere where God's reign is recognized and responded to. And there's all these little pictures we get of this all throughout uh, the New Testament, specifically in Jesus' ministry. And honestly, my original plan for this was to kind of go through and show us some different places where things happen. And Jesus says this was the kingdom. And as I I tried to kind of string those together through the gospels, through the book of Acts, through the book of Revelation, uh, I felt like God just said, Aaron, I, I want you just to tell them and I'm like, I don't, God, I've been trying forever to describe the kingdom. And he says, Aaron, I want you to tell them. And so I found myself with a marker in my hand, just going up to a whiteboard. And I just started writing. And I asked the Lord, Lord, what is it? And, and I just wanna share with you what he gave me, what I think he gave me, is I tried to capture with my own like, like, like limited words to capture what the kingdom of God is like. And so what is the kingdom of God like? What is it like when God reigns as king? When the kingdom of God comes, the poor are cared for the hungry are fed, injustice is replaced with justice, wrongs are made right, sins are forgiven, shame is erased, and guilt is removed. In the kingdom of God, abuse is abolished, depression is lifted, addictions are broken, mental illness is cured, anxiety is pushed out by peace, fear is relieved, courage is the norm, and insecurities are made secure. When God reigns as king, the weak are made strong, pain is relieved, comfort is received, the lost are found, and the lonely find family and relationships are mended. When God is king, light shines in the dark "'Trauma is healed, hope is restored, "'racism and bigotry are ended, "'hatred is silenced, and love abounds. "'When God is king, the greedy become generous.' The sick are healed, the paralyzed walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the dead are raised, the demons are defeated. When God's kingdom comes, oppression is ended, corruption is crushed, war is forgotten, and peace finally endures. When God's kingdom comes, when God reigns, lies and deception are silenced. Truth is proclaimed and embraced. Sorrow is removed and joy is unending. When God's kingdom comes, bitterness is replaced with tenderness and kindness is the norm. In God's kingdom, death and all of its power is destroyed, and life reigns supreme. This is what it's like when God is king. This is the kingdom of God. And and God, our, our Father, he sits on the throne with a smile on his face, freely giving all of this as we, his children, freely receive it. And Jesus says, let me tell you about the good news of the kingdom of my God. This is the good news. And Jesus gives us this prayer. He says, hey, I want you to pray that that's what it would be like on earth. Now, I I just wanna name uh, something that many of us probably feel, you know, we've been conditioned by fairy tales to think that that's just a myth, that that can't surely be reality. I think about a a dear friend of mine when uh, I lived in Canada and um, she got to be very close to our family. She was doing a lot of spiritual searching. And in one moment, she was really kind of considering Buddhism as a path to take. And so we start talking about it. And she says, Aaron, I've just kind of realized that Buddhism, Christianity, they say basically just the same thing. It's just offering a way of life to help deal with the pains of this world. And I said, oh, no, Monica, like Christianity and Buddhism couldn't be more different I was like, you have to understand the trajectory where either of these paths are leading you. I said, Buddhism just tells you that you're stuck in this endless cycle of birth, death, and reincarnation unless you can enlighten yourself and be removed from that cycle, and then you become a drop in a vast ocean of nothingness, and that is the end goal. I said, but the kingdom of God, like what Jesus offers, it is a redemption of all things. It is a fulfillment of all things. It is all things made right. And I start naming some of these things that I feel like God was having me name the other day at the whiteboard. And as where I finished describing it to her, I said, and in the end, God makes all things new. Everything wrong is made right. And she looked at me wide-eyed. And I'll never forget it. She said, wow, Aaron. She said, that just sounds too good to be true. And you know, my prayer for us As God's people, my prayer for my friend, Monica, my prayer for those who are far from Jesus would be that we would have the courage and the faith to see that this is not too good to be true. Man, it is too good not to be true. We need it. It is the longing of every human soul for things to be set right again, and that is the promise of Jesus' gospel. That's what he accomplished at the cross in the empty tomb. And I love what Jesus says. He says, pray that the kingdom would come and that your will, Father, would be done. And what is God's will? You know, God's will is that every person would hear this good news, have the humility to respond to it in faith and to step into it with all of their being. So what do we do with this? You know, we all know, we all know that things aren't right in the world. We're all aware of it because of the own, our own stuff that's in here, right? Like any of us who are honest with ourselves, we know there's things in here that there's no peace, there's, there's stress, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's fear, there's hurt, there's pain. But then even if, if you're not aware of it in yourself, you look all around and like, I, I dare you to look at the headlines and not walk away going, man, the world's a mess. And this morning I, I get on, I turn on my phone, I look at the news headline and what do I see? Oh, another shooting in the United States. More lives shattered, more lives lost. Why is there so much pain? We all know that things aren't as they should be, and we all have different ways of responding. Some of us go through life, and we just try to ignore the pain and when that doesn't work, we try to numb the pain with whatever we can, whether it's more possessions or whatever substance of choice that we have or some sort of addiction or whatever. We, we will try to numb the pain. Some of us are so aware of the pain and we have tender hearts. And so we give ourselves to trying to solve the pain only to realize that we can't do it on our own. That No matter how much good we do, there seems to be more pain abounding and be, it begins to feel a bit of a hopeless cycle. And Jesus speaks into this. He says, listen, I want you to know that the way you change the world is not gonna be based on your efforts. Don't be deceived by the world that tells you that if you put the right words at the end of a hashtag that somehow you're changing the world because that's not the way it works. Jesus says, you can't do it, but you know the one who can. And he invites you to call him father. And he's the king and he has all power. And one of the things I believe about this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is that it is not just a relational framework, but it's also an invitation. I think there's three key invitations that Jesus is laying out for us as followers when he teaches us to pray this prayer. I'm just gonna kind of walk through each of these invitations really quickly with us. The first invitation is this, that we would just pray it. I know that's really simple, it's not (laughs) too astounding, but Jesus is saying, hey, pray it, pray the prayer pray, God, your kingdom come. And I think what Jesus is saying when he tells us to pray it, he's saying, listen, you can't do it. You can't fix it. You can't make the world right. But you're in relationship with the king who can. I think this is why when Jesus shows up at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter one, Jesus walks on the scene and he says, hey, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, up until the good news of the kingdom that Jesus brought, All humanity had was our own efforts to try to make things right and some religious hoops to jump through that hoping that if we did them right, then somehow God would be placated and he would like us. That's all we had. And then Jesus shows up and he says, hey, good news, (laughs) you can't do it, but the kingdom of God is near and he can do it. Repent, stop thinking you have to do it on your own or that you can do it on your own and believe the good news that the gospel of grace and good news of kingdom is coming. You see, what, what Jesus is inviting us into is to, is to pray because prayer, prayer is this place where when we realize that we are powerless over something, when we realize we can't do it, it drives us to desperation, and what desperation does is it drives us to our knees in prayer. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can't do it, but you know the one who can, so pray it, God, your kingdom come. You see, for Jesus, prayer is not just a moment of desperation or a place in my closet where I hit my knees. Prayer is just a way of life. Jesus is saying, "Listen, everywhere you go, I want you to pray this prayer, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done right here as it is in heaven." So some of you are, are, are overwhelmed and racked with stress because of the situation in your workplace. You have a boss that's heavy handed. You have coworkers you can't get along with. And what Jesus invites you to do is say, Hey, pray it. As you go to work, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my workplace, just as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come. The goodness of your kingdom come into my boss's life, as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come in my coworkers' lives, as it is in heaven. He says, Pray the prayer. Some of you are so overwhelmed and stressed by the, the situations in your family right now relationships that are strained and hurts that don't seem to go away. And Jesus says, hey guys, pray it. God, let your kingdom come. Reconciliation, healing, let your kingdom come just as it is in heaven. Let it be in my family. You go on down the line, like some of you are overwhelmed by stuff in school. Some of you, it's just work love. Some of you, it's just wounds from your past. And in every single one of those, Jesus says, pray it. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life, just as it is in heaven. And so Jesus says, guys, pray the prayer because you can't do it on your own, but you know the one who can. But what's beautiful, he doesn't stop at the invitation and just pray it. I think he's also inviting us to participate in it. He's saying, guys, I want you to pray this reality, God, your kingdom come. But I think he's also saying, guys, participate. Participate with God as he brings the kingdom. You know, there's this there's this uh, word that's been floating around in Christian circles for some time now. If you've been in the Christian world for very long, you've probably heard it, where we, we talk about being a missional Christian. And you know, this word missional, we've used it so much, in some ways it's lost its meaning. You know, we'll just say things like, man, I don't wanna just be a church-going Christian, I wanna be a missional Christian. Well, what in the world does that even mean? You know, like, and, and we train church planters with our uh, church planting family called Onward, and we give a very simple definition of what it means to be a missional Christian. The definition is this, it is participating with God in the renewal of all things. That's the definition, that's missional. Participating with God in the renewal of all things because this is what God is doing. He is renewing everything. This is where everything is going. Read the end of the book of Revelation. New heaven, new earth, every tear wiped away, every sorrow done away with, all things made new. And Jesus says, hey, pray the prayer, but also be willing to participate because God is actively working. Will you participate in what he's doing? And here's the thing, the work that God's inviting us to participate in often starts in unexpected places. Jesus isn't saying, hey, participate in the coming kingdom. Go do a bunch of really good deeds and hope that you're helping to do something. That's not, that's not necessarily the starting place. You know, Jesus tells this, uh, a couple parables about the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's really small, like the smallest of beginnings, this tiny seed that grows into this huge tree. There's another one where he says, the kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast or leaven that is worked into a gigantic lump of dough and works its way all the way through. You see, the kingdom of God and the renewal that God is about will start in unexpected places. I believe what Jesus is saying is, hey, participate in it, and that starts with you. It starts in you. Are we willing to participate in the renewal that God wants to do in our own lives? God wants to renew you but it will look like submission, his will done in your life, not your own will. It will look like sacrifice. Jesus said, here's what it looks like to follow me. It means take up your cross, deny yourself. Jesus says, hey, will you participate in the renewal that God longs to do in your life, but here's what you need to know, that it will come with a cost. But the invitation is clear. Participate in the renewal of of, of your mind, of your body, of your heart, of your soul, of your life. And as we participate in our own lives, it's like that little bit of yeast that works through the whole dough. When those that are closest to you begin to see the renewing work of the kingdom of God in your life, they will take notice. And they will ask, what is going on? And we say, oh, the kingdom of God has come near you see, this is the way the kingdom spreads. It's like that yeast in the lump of dough. It starts in my own life, and then very soon it spreads to my closest community, and from my closest community, it begins able to spread into my neighborhood, and from my neighborhood is able to spread into my city, and from my city, it's able to spread into the state, and from the state into my nation, and from the nation to the nations. This is how the kingdom of God has been advancing for centuries, and it starts in the most unexpected places, humble people who are willing to let God renew them first, and then see step into what he's doing in other people's lives as well. This is the invitation. God, let your kingdom come into my life and oh, help me participate in what you're doing. This is where it starts. And so Jesus invites us. He says, hey, pray the prayer. You can't do it on your own. So ask the one who can. And he says, hey, participate in that renewal by yielding yourself to the work of the Spirit in your own life and then having eyes to see where he's at work in the lives of those around you. And then the third invitation is this. He says, pray it, participate in it, and finally, proclaim it. Proclaim it. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. This is this command that Jesus actually gave his disciples it's one of, the, one of these commands that we read in the Gospels, but we kinda go, maybe that was just for them, not for us. He actually, in Luke 10, he sends out some of his disciples. He sends them, he says, hey, when you come into a village, he goes, I want you to raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons, and here's the thing, none of them thought they were somehow being given superpowers. They all understood, they saw the kingdom of God at work in Jesus's life and he had told them, listen, you know the one who has this power, so go and proclaim it. And when you see these things happen, let people know the kingdom of God has come near. And yet for some reason, we don't really proclaim that, do we? And I'm not pointing fingers at you all, I'm confessing this, like I don't do this. When I see something good happen The first word out of my mouth is not, wow, kingdom of God has come near. This is what it's like when God is king, but why not? Why not? Why don't we say that? Can you imagine what would happen? (laughs) You imagine what would happen If every time we started seeing good news begin to break out, we had the habit and the response to go, wow, that's what it's like when God is king. Wow, the kingdom of God has come near. When when the family member gets the good cancer report back, instead of going, oh man, thank goodness for modern medicine, we said, wow, the kingdom of God has come near. This is what it's like when God is king. Or when someone's anxiety is relieved and is lifted and they find themselves walking in peace, instead of going, man, thank goodness for good counseling, we said, man, the kingdom of God has come near because the kingdom of God is delivered through a wide variety of means. And we should give credit to whom it is due, the king of glory who is bringing his kingdom into our lives. Will we have eyes to see it and will we proclaim it? here's the reality, if you start saying that, are your friends gonna think you're a little weird? Probably, yeah, that's true, they are. <laughs> the kingdom of God is coming, you like, What what did you just say? Like, it's a weird thing to say. But here's the other reality, will they ask you what you mean? Probably. Will you have opportunity to explain, well, this is just what it's like when God is king. This is why Jesus is good news. Now, I know this is a weird thing to ask, but I'm being serious. Like, I'm asking us as a church family, will we step into the habit that Jesus literally commanded his disciples to do? that whenever we see fruit in people's lives, whenever we see goodness breaking forth, will we go, man, the kingdom of God has come near. This is what it's like when God is king. And I know this is a little risky, so let's just start doing it with each other. You know, next week when we're gathering here and people are getting baptized, oh yes, the kingdom of God has come near. When we see somebody healed at the respond banner, which happens, we say, man, this is what it's like when God is king. When the person in your life that has been overwhelmed with stress and anxiety suddenly starts walking, you say, yeah, this is what it's like when the kingdom of God comes near. When they start walking in peace, you recognize the source for what it is. It comes from God our Father, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Jesus says, pray it, participate in it, proclaim it. Now, before I kind of tie this up and send this to communion, I need to name attention that I know a lot of us probably feel anytime we start talking about the kingdom being near, you know, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is amongst you. It's in your midst. That's the way he described it. It's kind of breaking in all over the place. But there's this tension we feel because we go, now, wait a minute. What about, what about the places we don't see it? What about the times we pray and there's not healing? What about, what about the times we ask and God doesn't bring relief or peace? Or What do we do with that? And, I, you know, I can't, I don't think I can, solve that tension perfectly right here, right now, but I just asked God, I'm like, Lord, I know this is a tension that I've felt, I know it's what others feel, would you help me? You know, Jesus spoke in metaphors so often. I asked him, I'm like, God, would you give me a picture? And he gave me a picture that helped me a little bit, and I'm gonna share it with you. If it doesn't help you, that's okay. If it does, man, then, then praise God, that's awesome. Yeah, but I'm gonna share it with you, you know? As I started thinking about this, this tension, I started thinking about our experiences in, in going to restaurants. I don't know if you've ever had an experience where someone maybe invited you to go out to eat or maybe you were going on a date or or a group of friends invited you and you weren't really hungry but you agreed to go anyways. And then when you get to the restaurant and you walk in and you smell the food, and immediately your mouth starts watering and you realize you're way hungrier than you thought you were, have you ever been there? And it's like, oh, that smells amazing. (laughs) Like, I can't wait to eat whatever that is. And the host gets you and they take you to your table and they seat you, and imagine that you get seated, you're smelling this food and the waiter comes up to you and says, hey, uh, unfortunately you've been really busy today, the chef is really backed up, and it's probably gonna be at least an hour before we're able to deliver your main course. It's like immediately the hunger pangs just grip you. It's like, no, it smells so good. And so the waiter says, here's what I can do. I can bring out an appetizer. And I'll bring it for free since we're so far behind, a complimentary appetizer for your table. And it's like, oh yeah, that's cool, that's great. So then they bring out the appetizer, and you know how appetizers work. There's like eight of you sitting around the table and they bring out like five tater tots, you know? It's like, oh, sweet, thank you very much. And you start to dig in you're like cutting tater tots in half and trying to eat them. But man, you put it in your mouth and it's like, oh, well, that is so good, that's the, the, the best, you know, Parmesan stuffed mushroom I've ever had, whatever the appetizer is, and, and as you eat it, You realize it's like, oh man, there's something even better coming. That was good. That was good, but it didn't make the appetite go away. It was good, but it made me realize there's more coming. If that chef can do that with a mushroom, what can he do with the main course? You see, the appetizer doesn't doesn't chase away the hunger pangs completely, but it gives you a taste for what's to come, that the main course is coming, and when it comes, it will be good and satisfying and fulfilling. You see, this is our existence right now. The world is racked with hunger pains. And God has called us his people. We are like the waiters. We've had a taste of what's coming. If you've encountered Jesus and his love and his grace, you know the goodness. And it, may, it doesn't satisfy you completely forever right now, but you know what's coming. And our job is to keep bringing the appetizers, to keep showing, man, the chef is good and what he has planned is good. So keep eating what you have right now, knowing that what is about to come your way is amazing. And this is the time we live in right now. So we keep asking for free appetizers. God, would you bring the fullness of your kingdom right now? Give us a taste so that we can see what awaits us when you return in all of your fullness. So here's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna, we're gonna take communion, just like we always do. We're gonna wrap up this, this series that we've been in. And what I want us to do, I want us to, my phone literally just thought I said, hey Siri, there you go, it just picked up when I said Siri, that was crazy. Anyways, um, so we're gonna wrap up this series that we've been in and um, we're gonna go to the communion table. It's set up all around, it's on the bar, uh, it's on these tables around the room. And as you come to communion, you take the bread and you take the cup. It's the reminder, it's the reminder, oh, we, we are getting a taste of the feast. That there's a feast coming, that Jesus accomplished it. He dealt with the hunger of the world. He's making all things new. And as we take of the bread, as we take of the cup, we take the body and the blood of Jesus, it is a foretaste of that which awaits us. And as we commune today, I have a simple question that I wanna invite you to kinda talk about amongst your friends, those that you came to church with, your, your, your family, you can put that question up on the screen here. As you take communion, just, just share with one another in what areas of your life are you longing to see God's kingdom come? Pray it, participate in it, proclaim it to one another as we commune. I'm gonna pray for us, and we'll go. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you, I thank you for what you've accomplished. Thank you for the promise. And Lord, we just, we just cry out, man, we long for you to renew all things. Man, we long for it, Lord. Would you let your kingdom come? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, all things made new, Lord. Would you come? Lord, as we wait, we pray that you would help us to participate. Lord, I know your, your will is that every person would hear the good news, that every person would have a chance to respond and you are patient. And so Father, would you fill us, your people with your spirit? May we be like little ambassadors to the kingdom everywhere we go, showing what life is like when you are king. Come now, Lord, as we commune with you, may the bread and the cup be a tangible reminder that you've, you've done it. You've done it you're doing it. Lord, Christ has come, and Christ will come again, and all things will be made new. Come, Lord, come. Minister amongst us as we commune with you by the power of your Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.